to today's lecture. So, today I am reading Neville Goddard's lecture uh, titled The Resurrection, and this is from 1963. So, Neville tells his audience, tonight's subject is the resurrection. Although the resurrection is not described in the scriptures, it stands at the very central point of the Christian faith. For if he is not risen, our faith is in vain. We are told if the dead are not resurrected, then Christ is not risen. The Christ, we are told, is the power and wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.24 Every child born of woman is crucified with Christ, with the power and with the wisdom. In God's good time, he resurrects that individual when the individual has completely absorbed Christ. When that wisdom and that power is one with the individual, who was actually crucified on that cross? No one can resurrect himself. It is an act of God. God's mightiest act is the resurrection, to save mankind and establish his people. So we are told or we are told in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, what you sow, unless it dies it is not alive, and what you sow is not the body which is to be. But God gives it a body, as he has chosen. First Corinthians fifteen thirty six. For the resurrection, or the resurrected body, is determined entirely by the gift of God, as he has chosen. Don't try to even visualize it. You couldn't visualize it. Don't speculate it. It's an immortal body, an eternal body given to the individual, as that individual is resurrected. Now let me share with you my experience of the resurrection. It's a true experience. Everyone will have this experience. Resurrection is a privileged new birth and a new creation. You did not earn our physical birth. You were born by the action of powers beyond your own. You will be born spiritually by the action of powers beyond your own. So let no one tell you that you earn it. You don't earn it, it's a gift. It's all grace and still grace. Because it is a gift, everyone will be born from above. So though it's not described in scripture, I can describe it for you. For I've experienced it. We are not born from the body, we are awakened in it. We aren't awakened from it. We are awakened in it. It's something entirely different. Now we are told that they came to the tomb, but bear in mind that only one person saw him placed in the tomb. Joseph placed him in a new tomb, but no one saw him in the new tomb. So they came early in the morning, and they said they looked in. These are the words. They've taken away the Lord from the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Mark 16, Matthew 28, and John 20. They looked in, and they saw what appeared to them to be angels, seated where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. Now no one saw how that body had been placed, for it was placed by Joseph, not by the woman who came early in the morning, and not by the disciples. And yet they claimed that they saw what they thought to be angels in radiant light, seated where the body of Jesus had laid. And he said to them, He is risen. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe it. Luke twenty four eleven. But now let me share with you what I have experienced. That record of the 20th of John and the 24th of Luke is not correct, but they do describe the event. No attempt is made to describe the actual resurrection. I will tell you the resurrection is simply a new birth, into an entirely different world. Don't try to visualize the world. Here I tell you, you rise into a world completely subject to your imaginative power. 
There will be no such thing as systems as we have systems. Everyone will be God, but everyone. You will not have to contend with politicians or men in the churches who call themselves your superior, or anyone in this world who thinks himself greater. You are God, and everything in the world is subject to your imaginative power. You enter that world where God is the substance of that world by taking us one by one into that world. And we do not have a thing to do with this body. In other words, it has it is as he has chosen. As we're told, and what you have sown is not sown, is not the body, which is to be, for God has given it a body as he has chosen. You read it the fifteenth of first Corinthians, read the thirty sixth through the thirty eighth verses. The entire thing is given to us, and he simply lifts us from this world into that. So I tell you from experience, resurrection is a new birth into that age as against this age. It's a privileged birth given to us by God. Now when it happens, this is exactly how it's going to happen. You will awake not from the body as people teach. You will awaken in it. And when you awaken in it, you will be the most startled being in the world. Because until then you had no idea that you were asleep. You had no idea that through the ages you'd been sound asleep, dreaming this fantastic world. All this is man's dreams, a nightmare. He dreams wars, revolutions, and convulsions, and sickness and poverty. Everything in the world he dreams here because he's sound asleep. Resurrection is God's mighty act to awaken him and you, the body, from this dream. He awakens and the whole of him is in his skull, but the whole of him. The whole being finds himself completely sealed and tombed in a skull, and then he comes out. He knows, seemingly, that he is unaided because he makes the effort to get out. He pulls himself out of his skull, so he can't say that anyone pushed him out or even aided him. He is self-begotten. He absorbed Christ in that state of a dream, exercising unwisely that power. For Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, but the power of God. And he made this fantastic dream. These horrible things come true by the exercise of that power that is Christ. And then suddenly, in God's own time, he saw him absorb Christ. He became one with that power, one with that wisdom. God of old, sound asleep. And then the drama begins to unfold and the tomb is empty. He comes out of it. As he comes out of it, there are men to meet him. Call them by any other name, but they're men to meet him. The men cannot see him because the men pre present are, I think it's invisible men. Uh, they cannot see, th there's, there's a word missing, so I don't know what kind of men. But um, they cannot see that heavenly being that is born. Oh, mortal men, maybe mortal men. Yeah. Uh, he belongs to an entirely different realm. He belongs to the kingdom of God and mortal, yeah, mortal men, and mortal eye cannot see him. He doesn't even see him because the body given to him is yet to be given, as God has chosen. What he sowed in this world is not the body which is to be, for God has given him a body as he, God, has chosen. And so that glorified body that is his to be worn in heaven, he doesn't see it at that moment. And no one sees him. He's simply aware, more aware than he's ever been before, completely awake. 
And then the drama unfolds. And they don't believe it either. Let me quote the words. And the words, um, and the words heard seemed to them like idle tale, and they did not believe it. So here's the story. One makes a fantastic, incredulous announcement that an event has taken place that is impossible to the mortal mind. And so they didn't believe it. They asked in the most incredulous way, how is this thing possible? It can't be. He doesn't argue the point. He presents the evidence that this thing did take place. This is a birth unknown to any mortal man. This isn't the kind of birth that takes place in this world, in this age. An entirely different birth, something that is self-begotten. Out of his own fantastic skull he comes. And once you see beyond the symbol, it's a symbol of signifying that birth. They did not believe it. I can hear the word now, impossible. As far as they are concerned, they can't believe it. But he doesn't argue. The one who found the insignia, who found the little symbol called a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, puts it on the bed. And they look at it in amazement, but they still will not believe it. The little child is born. That's only the, sim the signal, the symbol of an event that no mortal eye can witness. They accept it on faith, or they don't accept it, and they, they didn't accept it. And so here it's presented, and no one believes it. Even the one who finds it and finds it difficult not only announced it, but also finds it difficult, being human, to accept evidence about the symbol as coming or signifying a completely new birth, a privileged birth into an entirely different world. But there it is. That is the insignia. That is the resurrection. Resurrection and a new birth into the kingdom of God. Listen to the words from the 20th chapter of the book of Luke, speaking of this world. And whose wife will she be in the resurrection? You do not know the scripture, said he, for in this age they marry, and they are given in marriage. But those who are accounted worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry or are given in marriage, for they cannot die again. They are now sons of God and the sons of the resurrection. Something entirely different. Verse 34 but no man can see that. They can only see things based upon their experiences here. And I can't blame anyone for it. For, may I tell you, I hadn't the slightest idea. Certainly not any conscious idea of this experience until it happened. Not the slightest concept that such things were possible until it happened. For can anyone stand today before the whole vast world? There are three billion of us, and not bad an eye when I tell them I know the mystery of the resurrection. Although it's not described in scripture, I know exactly what the individual must go through to be resurrected. And he does not do it to him, do it of himself. It's a gift from God. God, in his own wonderful time, resurrects us individually into an entirely different world. And he clothes us in this immortal body that cannot be seen with the human eye, and no one can describe it. It's fantastic beyond the wildest dreams. That's the thing that you are, clothed in this body that is forever. It's immortal. And so that's the first act in the great scene of the resurrection, the birth. And then comes the series as it unfolds, and no one understands it. Conferred upon the risen Christ in the experience of man is the divine name Adonai, which means my Lord, my Father. 
That's conferred upon the Christ that is risen in man and that individual's experience and conferred upon him in the divine name, Adonai, which is my Lord, which means my Father. Well, how will you know it? Well, then comes the experience, which is just as exciting, just as unexpected, just as perplexing and bewildering as the first. You have no idea of this relationship, and suddenly it happens. And then he calls you, my Father, my Lord. You look at him, and here is this wonderful relationship, and there it is. Then comes the third. The third is the ascension, where man actually ascends. He is not man, yet he is man. He hasn't any loss of consciousness and no change of identity, but here is a golden liquid being that he is. And just as described, an earthquake takes place. You don't get out, this whole thing takes place in the body, not out of the body. For when you rise up after having been split right down the middle from top to bottom, and then you rise into Zion, which is your skull, that's the great holy sepulchre. You make a Herculean effort to get out. You've never made such an effort in your life. But you don't get out. There you are in the holy city, the new Jerusalem, clothed as he has prepared it for you in that area. So I tell you, the story is true from beginning to end. This coming Sunday, they will think a peculiar survival of death. It isn't that at all. It's an entirely, it's entirely different. Resurrection is not that Christ survived death according to some general capacity for survival inherent in the human soul. No, it's the mighty act of God to save mankind and establish his kingdom hasn't a thing to do with survival. Everything survives. I have said goodbye to my father and mother in this sphere and dozens and dozens of friends in this sphere. They've all survived. Nothing dies. But they are on the wheel of recurrence and they're planning their parts over and over and over on the wheel of recurrence. And then in a moment that they do not suspect and no one knows, God redeems them and lifts them one by one. Not collectively, for we are known individually and loved individually by God. You are unique and can't be replaced. Not one person in the world can take your place. You are completely loved and wanted by God to complete his purpose in this heavenly kingdom. So no one can replace you. Not one person in this world can take your place. So in God's own time, he lifts you up by the mightiest of all acts, the resurrection which is the redeeming power that saves man from this wheel of recurrence. So here, on this occasion, let me show you some of the power that will be yours. I tasted it. I tasted the power of the new age. It didn't happen in the last few years. It happened back in 1946. Therefore, the one who wrote the story, whether it be in Luke or in John, they rearranged the sequence of events. For before this happened to me in the ascent, I had this fantastic experience back in 1946. And it is said, they said in the tomb, he is risen. They said in 1946, called me by my name, called me Neville. Neville is risen. And then came this heavenly chorus singing, Neville is risen. And they kept on filling the whole heaven with this wonderful heavenly chorus. And then I moved upon a sea of perfection. Blind, lame, halt, withered, shrunken, everything that was imperfect.
and here is the power that you exercise. As I came upon this enormous sea of humanity without eyes, without arms, and without feet, sections of the face missing, and sections of the body missing, I simply became a luminous being. Made of light and air, as it were, and I simply glided. I didn't walk in some labored manner I glided by. They seemed to be waiting for me. Without effort, I molded eyes. I didn't do it consciously. But eyes that were molded into these empty sockets and ears that were missing came back. No scars, no surgeon in the world. Put all the surgeons in the world together, they could not have molded one eye as I did with thousands in that sea. They could not have put one hand back as perfectly as I put it back. Arms that were missing came right back. Legs that were missing came back, everything without a scar, but it was perfect. When the whole thing was done and completed, this course exalted, it is finished. And then I, of whom they sang and to whom they addressed every remark, crystallized, actually crystallized once more into this garment. I could feel myself becoming smaller into this little tiny garment on a ship at sea as I plowed through the Caribbean Sea, moving from Port of Spain, Trinidad, to Mobile, Alabama. And so here I can tell you the story is true. When they said he is risen, in my own case they called me by my name. I'm quite sure the translators would have found the word there, but now they use the pronoun, he. So in telling the story not to offend those who might think me arrogant, I too use the pronoun he. When I wrote in my little book, The Search, when I told my experience. But they didn't say he, they said Neville is risen. Here, this experience, and then through the years it dawned upon me, for the ninth chapter of the book of John. Master who sinned, this man, nor his parents, but the works of God be made manifest. Then I realized over the years that the sea of human imperfection, these are the things that I have played. Always Neville but blind Neville, once lame, or blind once, Lame Neville, drunken Neville, everything in this world that would be distasteful, I dreamt. They were all my broken body, and I rebuilt my broken body. And so, no more eyeless in Gaza. The eyes came back. No more the lameless and the armless, and all these, they all came back. So, nothing is lost in all my holy mountain. So, I fell, and that was my broken dream. The whole thing that was there was my fall into the state of sleep, and I dreamt all the unlovely things in the world and played them too. So in the end you are lifted up, and being lifted up everything returns to its divine perfection, and nothing is imperfect, and every being in the world is going to have that experience. You and I will meet in the new world called, called that world in scripture. We will be in control, completely in control, of a power that would dwarf any power known to mortal mind. So we are creative, creative in the true sense of the word, without the aid of any being we create. But we will create in concert. You and I will agree to create in concert, and all of us will agree to create. No one will be greater than the other. All will be glorified in the eye of God. So, fulfilling scripture, the book of Hosea, the sixth chapter, the second verse, and on the third day he raises us up, that we may stand before him 
on the third day. I say that everything in the New Testament I could find it in the Old, but the Old is a prophecy, the New is fulfillment. So it was there in the sixth chapter, second verse, that he tells us, On the third day he raises us up, that we may stand before him to receive his glory, and that we may know him and go to the go to know the Lord in his fullness. So I tell you, the resurrection is an actual fact. Although not described in the scripture, there isn't one passage in the scripture that describes it. I know it, for I have experienced it, and I tell you exactly how it happened. The resurrection is not from some little tomb. This is the tomb. And you don't resurrect from the body. You awaken in the body, right in it. You awaken in the tomb. The tomb is your own skull. The word skull is Golgotha. It's Calvary, the holy sepulcher. And you awaken it, or you awaken in it and never had an idea that you fell asleep in this. It never occurred to man that he actually fell asleep in a profound sleep Asleep so deep it was likened unto death, and one day God's mightiest act, the power of resurrection, held him and awoke. And may I tell you, when that power is applied to you that night that you are sound asleep, and it's applied, you think you are going to die, and then you are going to be awakened. But at that moment when it's applied to you, it's so intense you feel you can't stand it. It means this is the end. You explode. But you don't explode, you are awakened. And suddenly you awake. You have no doubts where you are. You are all together, but in your skull. The skull is a tomb, and you know it's a tomb. You are sealed, completely sealed in your own skull. After one moment of panic, you push and something gives at the base of your skull and out you come. Just like a birth. And it is a birth from above. For except you be born from above, you cannot in any wise way enter the kingdom of heaven, John 3, 3. So man has to be awakened by God and come out of himself, out of his own skull, born from above. Then we are told, and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, John 3, 14. That act takes place in the same manner. All these statements, they don't describe the act, because who, by reading it, could see that as a description? I read it, I know my Bible, but I read that time and again. I never once related that to an actual mystical experience in me, but I would read the Bible, and the Bible uses the word, which is, um, the word is missing, uses the word and translate it not as from above, they translate the Greek word another as again, implying that millions believe in reincarnation. No, you are born from above. The word means from above, but the translators can't believe it, so they put the word again. So you must be born again. It is again, but not as the world would see it. You are actually born out of your own skull from above, and you come out self-begotten. And here the very symbol that you're told you'll find, you wouldn't find it. They find it for you. For the angel doesn't speak to you. The angel speaks to the men watching the flocks at night, and they come looking for the, for the event. For unto you this day is born in the city of Bethlehem, the city of David, the Savior, Luke 2.11. Well, who is the Savior? Jesus is the word Savior. The word Jesus means Savior. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Jesus the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Christ in you is the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. And in Christ in you is that Savior, that Jesus Christ, that's Jesus Christ in you. He's born. So the story is true from beginning to end, and you cannot alter one little dot. It's all true. This coming Sunday, when they sing out the Hallelujah Chorus that He has risen, you who hear me tonight, you know how true it is. They don't know that city means survival of the grave. It has a little thing to do with that. No survival. My father survived, I see him. My mother survived, I see her. My secretary, Jack, talked to him. He saw Ludley real as he was here. I see him. But they survived. That's not resurrection. Resurrection is an act, a creative act. A new creation into an entirely different world. God's purpose fulfilled. The resurrection really, in the true sense of the word, is the fulfillment of the eternal purpose of God. All this is preparatory to the act of resurrection. So no matter how big you are in this world, how wise you are, may I tell you the sum total of all the wisdom of man, while he dreams this world will be as nothing compared to the power that is his when he awakes. All this is the dream of man. But while we are in the world of the dream, learn how to dream wisely. And so I will take it up for you, and so next Tuesday... I'll show you how to dream wisely while we're still here in the world of Caesar, waiting for that mighty act of redemption, how to really dream it into being in this world. Everyone can do it, and so I will show you and teach you from now until we close in the end of May how we dream it, even though we are sound asleep. Dreaming, we've got to be asleep, and this is the world of dream. We must dream lovely things for each other and realize them in this world hoping for God's mighty act to take place in us. But until it takes place, why not learn how to dream constructively and dream wisely and dream lovingly? It's just as easy to dream the other things, for we're dreaming anyway. While we are asleep, we can't stop the activity of the dreaming mind, the dreamer. But here, our resurrection, unlike that, or unlike what will be said this coming Sunday morning, and undoubtedly, the service will be beautiful. <clears throat> Last Easter, I turned on the TV and had the most delightful service at home, watching and hearing Nat King Cole at St. James. He sang beautifully with all the depth of feeling in him. He hasn't much range, as you know, a very small range. But what he did with that range, I thought the whole thing so altogether wonderful. I learned only a few weeks later that the minister, Dr. Terwillinger, was relieved from his post. But now I do not associate it. But in the world of dreams there are such prejudices, such stupidities. So I do not say that because of that he was relieved because Nat King Cole was a member of the congregation. He is a member of the church. Why should he not be spotlighted, known as he is, with the opportunity to reach unnumbered millions across the country, really if it went beyond our sphere here? But but if it only went to this sphere, at least three or four million could reach him, and the church could be publicized beautifully. The doctor himself, Dr. Terwillinger, gave the most wonderful sermon, and then he was so dignified, so altogether wonderful. And to my surprise, he was sent elsewhere. 
So I tell you, the congregation who would ease him out because of little prejudices, they haven't the slightest concept of this mystery of resurrection. Not the slightest. First of all, they think they're going to be resurrected with the body that they wear. And that's not it. Let me quote it for you again, the 38th verse, the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And what you sow will not be the body which is to be, for God gives us a body as he has chosen. For the one wearing the garment today will not be like that. Yes, I will know you, but for all the identity of person, there's going to be a radical discontinuity of form. So you can't envision that form, which is a new body, attuned to an entirely different world, where everything is subject to your imaginative power, where you are God. I mean that seriously, you are God. But at the present state of the dream, you can dream fantastic things, all things that we do. Like we've all done it. But the day will come and may it happen to you tonight. But I have no prophetic view. I do not know. It happens unexpectedly. It happens so suddenly. It happens and you are bewildered. So I cannot tell you by looking at you with my mortal eye how close you are to God's mercy when he steps in and redeems you in the body of Jesus. I cannot. I do not know how soon. It may happen, may it be, for your own wonderful sake tonight. But you can't hasten it. It's an act of God. God's most wonderful dramatic act, his mightiest act, is the resurrection. The resurrection and the birth, let's scroll down, um, of Christ and man are identical. They're the one and the same thing. The beginning and the end are tied together in one act. When one awakes within himself, it's Christ awake. It's Jesus Christ awake. And that awakening within himself is one with the resurrection because you resurrect from the dead. You had no idea you were dead until the very moment when you find yourself entombed. Who goes into a tomb and has it sealed upon him if he isn't dead? And so when you awake to find yourself entombed, you must have been dead or you wouldn't be there. Then you realize the words until the end when Christ awakens in us. We go through a cycle, cycle after cycle, having been placed into such a profound sleep. And then comes God's fulfillment of this promise. And he awakens from a sleep so deep that the world thought he was dead. Then he awakens, and when he awakens, he's the very being that is God. Then he tells this, his story to those who will hear it. Listen to the words carefully. And these words seemed to them to be an idle tale, and they did not believe it. And then we are told in the same passage, which is the 20th of John and the 24th of Luke. Behold, they did not know, and the word translated know means understand. They did not understand the scripture, that Christ must rise from the dead. He told them, but they could not understand it. What does it mean? Or what does he mean by rising from the dead? And where did they lay the body? There's no body. Yet they see people sitting where the body had been laying. How did they know the body had lain there when they never saw the body? See the mystery? It happens in you. You know where the body was, for you see it when you awaken within yourself. It's exactly the thing out of which you came, ghastly pale, and you look at it. And then comes the, might, the mighty wind that is the Holy Spirit. You hear it and you are disturbed. And you look away just for a moment because you are disturbed. 
Looking back a moment later, the body is gone. But in its place, men are seated where the head was and where the feet were. But the body is gone. They are actually seated just as told in scripture. Where the body of Jesus had lain, John twenty twelve. Out of that he came, he's born, but first he awoke in it, and then it disappeared. And they carry on this incredible conversation, and unbelievable they would not believe the tale. So one said, It is, calling you by, or calling you by name, whatever your name is, they'll call it and call you as one of whom the angel spoke this night that a Savior is born. And then the symbol of that birth is on the floor, and they will say, How is this thing possible? And calling you by name, they will think it's the most stupid statement in the world. And whoever makes the announcement will present the evidence. They will see the evidence, but still they can't believe it. So who will believe that you, a frail, mortal subject to all vanities of the world, subject to all the weaknesses of the world, could be so singled out for such a blessing when they know your background and they know your parents, your weaknesses, all kinds of weaknesses, and that you could be lifted up into an entirely different world and given such glory. No, they don't believe it, and so it seemed to them like an idle tale, and they did not believe it. That's what the world does. So it happens to every one of us, but may I share with you my experience? And I am just as you are, with the same frailties today that I had before the event, same frailties, subject to all the weaknesses of the flesh. Overeat I did it, overdrink I did it, and still I do and I still do both. So in spite of all my weaknesses it happened to me. So you don't become a goody goody person after the event, and so you're the same person. It is said of him, Why do you listen to me? He's mad. First of all, he's a glutton and a wine-bibber. He's a drunkard, and he loves harlots and tax collectors, and all the people that are not socially prominent. He seems to make them front of his. Why do you listen to him? And so he went about his way until the very end. No one believes that this has happened. That's the story. He goes to his exit from this world, knowing exactly what has happened to him leaving others to write it up after he is gone and tell it as best they can. For he knows the new age has been inaugurated. And from that moment on, all are being called, one after the other, into the new age, an entirely different age. From the state of sleep into the age of fully waking beings, all God. He knew that he simply opened up the door, and no one believed him, not to the very end because they were looking for some peculiar return in this garment, and you can't return in this garment because you're not there, period. Or you're not there. Yes, I'll recognize you. You'll recognize me. But we will not be clothed in these garments at all, for which I am most happy, because after 58 years of wearing this, it's burned out. I'm very happy that God, in his infinite wisdom at least, gave us such things as dentists and barbers and tailors, for which I am most happy because they can cover up so many mistakes. But the garment that you and I will wear tomorrow will need no patching up. It would need no tailor to put a suit on it. It will need no barber to cut its hair. It will be an immortal body glorified beyond the wildest dream of any man in this world, and so that will be our body.
So this night I've tried to share with you that which I know, not from a book, that which I know from experience. And so I will show you the resurrection as a fact, it is true. And the resurrection means the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Therefore Christ Jesus in man is the hope of glory. Christ Jesus and every man is waiting to be resurrected. Everyone. And a body is waiting for you that is God's choice for you. I'll try to visualize it. But you go back and read it. Everyone has it already prepared for him, waiting for God to wake at him, and then clothe him in, this, in his immortal body. Now let us go into the silence. Okay, so that is the end of Neville Goddard's lecture, titled The Resurrection from 1963. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode, and I will see you guys in the next one, where I will be reading, what is it, The Story of Salvation. All right, thank you so much. Again, if you want a copy of this particular lecture, just go to the resource uh, page on my blog, which is lenacatier.com, and you can download any of Neville's lectures there. All right, again, have a good day, good evening, depending on where you're at. I'll see you guys in the next uh, episode. Thank you so much. Bye.